Welcome everybody to Crown Jewel. We're going to get into the live coverage today, Thursday, October 21st, with the results and thoughts here on Tap Out Talk. Everybody, can you hear the pyro? Can you hear the noise? It's WWE Crown Jewel live from Saudi Arabia. And we are going to go right into the first matchup of the day, which is the Hell in the Cell matchup with Edge versus Seth Rollins. We open with a video package um, of Edge and Rollins recapping the similarities between the two wrestlers and how Edge wants payback for Rollins nearly breaking his neck and invading his home. This is a revenge match for Edge, so keep in mind, this is all about payback here at Crown Jewel. Um, they do kind of really go into the back and forth of these two and how this is the third match in the meetup between the two of them that should be the war to settle the score. So the set for Crown Jewel is large with lots of pyros, and camels surrounding the stage. No, I'm being serious. Real life camels and people holding the camels in place for the entire show. We are ready for Hell in the Cell brought to you by Mattel, as I call it. It's the big red cage that is like rubber coated. And I just, no matter how much I see it, I really don't like the look of that cage. I kind of wish that they would, you know, go back to the solid steel looking cage. But I think that is a thing of the past. Both men enter the metal uh, enter to a metal type music playing with their similarities up even more. I feel like Seth Rollins is um, was slightly tweaked to match that of Edge to have that more comparison of the two back and forth. So <clears throat> Edge, um, they start off the match. Edge charges Rollins into the corner with a fury of punches. Rollins reverses it with an Irish whip and the punches all around start the match. Edge rolls out of the ring and Rollins does a suicide dive between the ropes with Edge moving and Rollins hitting the cage. Edge follows up with throwing Rollins all around the outside of the cage. Stairs, chairs, oh my. Rollins and chairs are now in the ring. And then Edge breaks a piece of the chair off with Rollins and tries to take out Edge's eye with it. Back on the outside, Rollins returns the favor throwing Edge all around the cage area. Once again, almost an exact reversal. Uh, Rollins then throws Edge back in the ring, looks under the rope for a weapon, but Edge counters with a baseball slide between the ropes, smacking Rollins into the cage. Little bit goes on. Both men then are back in the ring. Rollins lights up Edge with chair shots, multiple chair shots. Rollins goes for a concerto curb stomp, but Edge reverses it into a crossface. Rollins then gets out of the hole by grabbing a piece of the chair that was broken off earlier and jabs it right into the eye of Edge, breaking up the crossface that he had on him. From there, there was a frog splash from the top rope and Rollins to the outside to set up a table on the outside that goes um, back in the ring. So at this point, Rollins sets up a table on the outside. He goes back into the ring. Rollins then uses the unprettier on Edge in, a, in the ring. Uh, it's a nice nod to Christian Cage. This was his finishing move when he was in current Impact World Champion, but who was actually defending his title this weekend. But for when he was in the WWE, that move was called the Unprettier. Rollins goes to the top rope at this time, and Edge pushes him off the rope, and he bounces off of the cage and falls straight into the table that he set up just a little bit ago. 
Edge brings the stairs into the ring and delivers the Edge-O-Matic on the stairs. Edge then takes the chair to the top rope and performs an elbow drop with the chair on the stairs in the ring with Rollins on it. It's a flashback. The announcers are sure to mention of the first Hell in the Cell match that Edge had with The Undertaker at Survivor Series. Edge goes for a spear and Rollins reverses it with a super kick and also a pedigree, which is a nice nod to HBK and Triple H. Um, and count, he gets a count of two on the pinfall. Rollins goes for a curb stomp and Edge picks him up and delivers a turnbuckle powerbomb. Mind you, the same villainous move that ended Sting's WWE career and follows up with a spear for a close two count. Ladders, tables, and chairs are now all in the ring. Edge is laid on the table and Rollins props up the ladder in the corner. Both men are fighting at the top of the ladder and a sunset powerbomb through the table to Edge and there's a kick out on the pin, barely a two count. A miscellaneous tool bag from here is pulled out from under the ring and Rollins takes out a chain. He wraps his boot with it and Edge is on his knees and he delivers a super kick to Edge with the chain boot. It's interesting that they chose to use this spot here because in AEW's last pay-per-view, All Out, the um, super kick was also used in a hardcore cage match Um which uh, they actually took and they put uh, spikes or thumbtacks on the bottom of it as they delivered a super kick. So that was interesting that the WWE tended to mock that a little bit here. Rollins goes for the curb stomp on Edge and counters with a chair to the groin to Rollins. Rollins is down for the count. Edge then has a cross face on Rollins using a wrench from the tool bag and he's got the wrench right in the teeth. And just as Rollins is about to tap out, Edge stops and then places the chair underneath Seth's head and delivers a curb stomp to Seth for the one, two, three, and the win. This was a very uh, fast-paced, hardcore opener for WWE Crown Jewel. It definitely got the crowd going, and it got you know the um, the pay-per-view kicked off in a really high, intense manner. Um, I didn't really feel like the match was. I've seen better Hell in the Cells. I've seen worse. They didn't really use too much of the cage and the structure. And I sometimes, you know, do question what's the point of the Hell in the Cell structure if it's not meant to like keep anybody out or it's not meant to, you know, be used in a, you know, huge manner. And they didn't even really try to do the coward heel thing with Seth running away from Edge. So I got to question the use of the Hell in the Cell here. However, this could have been just a regular grudge match or hardcore match, but the end of the day, it was um, a back-and-forth match. They did play on the similarities that they wanted with Edge and Rollins. And I'm going to say that the match did what it was supposed to do and gave a uh, conclusion to this feud. And hopefully we won't have to see these guys battle it out again with Edge getting a solid win. And then we also were able to kick off Crown Jewel with a bang. So the winner, again, for the 1-2-3 is Edge. Up next, after that fast-paced match, we had to go into a little bit of what I call a transition match. We got Mansoor, um, hometown favorite of Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, and then Mustafa Ali. Ali enters first wearing an Egyptian-like pharaoh attire is the only way I can explain it. Mansoor is the hometown riot hero, and he enters the match next, and the match begins. The announcers mention that this is the first time two Muslims wrestle in Riyadh in a WWE pay-per-view event. Uh, where do they get these stats at? Um, my, mind you, there's only been a handful, a couple handful of these WWE pay-per-view events. 
And so, yeah, that's not much of a history, so to speak, for these, you know, that to ever happen. But they have to get their stats where they go for it. And it's not the worst thing I've heard. Um, the two lock up, and it's a back-and-forth traditional matchup, exchanging moves. Mansoor keeps the upper hand, and Ali keeps rolling out to the outside, kind of playing the heel. And then back in the ring, Ali gets Mansoor locked into a camel clutch, kind of classic little nod to the Iron Sheik style. Great um, Middle Eastern move. Mansoor powers out and stands up, reversing the move. Ali has Mansoor on the ground and begins slapping him, telling him to stay down like he always does and that he is a loser. Mansoor makes a comeback, firing up with an inverted atomic drop and a spine buster. Mansoor with a moonsault then comes from the top rope. During a pin count, Ali reverses it into a Koji clutch. Mansoor barely makes the rope to break the hold. Ali goes for a dream street from the top rope and misses. Mansoor hits the top rope neck breaker for the pin and the win in front of his hometown crowd. So that it right there is the end. Mansoor does get the win over Muhammad, or Mustafa Ali. So now we do have a post-match beatdown by Ali on Mansoor. And then all of a sudden some music hits and out comes a turban-covered man wearing a karate gi with a red belt. And I'm not going to lie, it had a very much a uh, Ernest the Cat Miller type vibe to the music. But I said there's no way that they could have used him or why would they? And it turns out it be it's actually revealed to be a local hero, uh, Olympic silver medalist Tarek, to deliver a super kick to Ali to end the segment. Um, and then him and Mansoor go back up the ramp. So uh, the WWE definitely played to the hometown crowd here with this matchup. And even getting an Olympic local legend involved. Um, at the end of the day, the match was meant to be a transitional match. Nothing really amazingly special. But um, And again, while the appearance of the Olympic medals didn't really mean much for us, maybe here as an audience in the United States, it probably did mean something to that crowd in Saudi Arabia. Let's move on. Up next, we have the Raw Tag Team Championships, and that's RK Bro defending their titles against AJ Styles and Amos. We get the entrances for the match, and Riddle comes out riding on a camel, making Orton look annoyed. And we get a re really weirdly placed CGI snake and fireworks for RK Bro, like lots of fireworks. When's the last time the tag Raw Tag Team Championships had so many fireworks? Regardless, Riddle and Styles start things out. A couple Irish whips and kicks in the corner by Riddle, and then the tag to Orton. Another Irish whip, and Orton goes for the RKO. Styles pushes him off, and Orton... Uh, be, begins working the knee. He tags Riddle into the match. Riddle gets a gut wrench suplex in place, but Airplane spins him before executing. Styles tags in Amos, and Riddle attacks Amos and almost bounces off of him and then immediately tags Orton. Orton hits Amos multiple times, even off the ropes, and gets nothing as Amos stares him down with no effect. Um, Amos then picks up Orton and drops him into the turnbuckle and continues to work like a big man and tags in Styles. Styles works a few moves, including a drop kick, and tags Amos back in. Amos hits a vice-like grip on Orton. A lot of back and forth with the tag match here. Um, in and out, in and out, in and out. Seems like it took forever to really get started in this match. The match continues on. Styles um, and Riddle both quickly tag in the two exchange moves, and then all of a sudden, boom, Pele kicked by AJ Styles. Orton tagged in, gets tagged in immediately, and knocks almost off the rape, uh, the apron, and then 
Uh, there's a carry scoop slam on Styles. Styles goes for the in the ending. The, Styles goes for the phenomenal forearm, and Randy hits the RKO. Bam! Out of nowhere in the air. Of course, we've seen this you know a hundred of times. And he then tags in Riddle, and Riddle's move is the floating bro, and he hits it with perfection and retains the tag team championship for RK Bro. Um, and this match again just did not really do it for me. It was your standard Raw tag match. Uh, the raw tag team scene is really rough. I mean, honestly, the the overall tag team scene in the WWE is very rough. I don't want to get um, on a bit of a rant, but the Usos are your best tag team champions, and I kind of wish they would go back to one title instead of two for a lot of these things. But regardless, um, despite a strong opening, I feel like the last two matches were just kind of filling time for the crowd in a way to kind of just showcase Riddle, um, especially with him coming in on the camel and everything. Up next, we get a really weird backstage interview segment with Becky Lynch. Not much here, folks. Uh, backstage interview with Becky Lynch wearing sunglasses that flip open into regular glasses. Um, you know, kind of just an odd, you know, look for her, really. She uh, basically is annoyed at the interviewer, Kevin Patrick, for explaining the rules of a triple threat to her. She runs them down a bit, and the segment's over very quickly. Um, didn't really do much for me here. And it was very quick and kind of forgettable. Up next, we get the Queen's Crown Tournament. Okay, now I would just want to start this off and saying I do love the idea. If you don't have a King of the Ring standalone pay-per-view, which I would love to have on a yearly basis in June with the winner getting a title shot at SummerSlam, much like the Rumble is to Mania, um, I don't mind this being a finale's for Crown Jewel since it actually does you know, kind of fit the overall theme of the pay-per-view, so it does make sense to me. So, entrances are made here um, with both women are wearing full-length t-shirts and tights covering their entire bodies to meet the culture requirements of Saudi Arabia. Uh, Vegas Vega is dressed in a red type outfit, uh, shirt, t-shirt, and uh, Dewdrop is dressed in purple. Um, not trying to be mean here. She kind of reminded me of Grimace from McDonald's a little bit. And the purple did not just work well for her today. Um, neither did her match. Ladies, they begin to lock up and they go back and forth with multiple pen attempts. And the announcers are doing a really good job of trying to sell this as the first ever Queen's Crown Tournament. And this is the finals. But the match is starting out really, really, really slow. And it took me a real long to get into it. And it seemed like it took the girls a while to get into it as well. Uh, Vega attempted a code red on Dewdrop. Very bad idea. She just slipped off of her back, uh, not being able to pull her around. And then Dewdrop hits a sidewalk slam, only but only gets a two count. Dewdrop then hits a crushing senton, um, which is a really good move for her to do um, with her size. So I, I love that aspect of that. But she gets another two count. Vega then hits the code red again, almost setting up what she tried to do earlier. But this time she gets it. Um, for the win and also the crown. So Zaliba then goes up to the ramp, grabs her cloak, her scepter, and crown, and sits down on her throne. All hail Queen Zelina is played over the speakers, and Pyro hits. Um, this uh, matchup, man, did not feel like a Queen's Crown tournament final type matchup. I don't think these girls have ever worked together before. And um, it really showed they looked very awkward in the ring. And it kind of reminded you of uh, neither of them are really veterans in the ring either. So I like Zelina Vega. That was the right pick here. I do want to see what she is able to do with the crown. And I think it's going to add just a little sauce to her character. Um, because I think the last time we really had a little sauce to that character is 
um, when she had Andrade as her client and she was kind of a manager slash wrestler. So this is, uh, I think she'll be able to embrace the queen character very well. And I'll be interested to see what she does with it in the future. Up next, we have a no holds barred match with Bill Goldberg and Bobby Lashley. We get a video promo reminding us that this is Goldberg's grudge match for what Lashley did to Goldberg's son at SummerSlam. This will be a no hold bars match as mentioned and falls will count anywhere inside the arena. They're very, very important uh, for the announcers to really, you know, hone in on that part. And they wanted the audience to know Lashley is out first and the almighty is looking, uh, looking ready as is Goldberg with lots of pyros on these entrances. Goldberg had a total of six security guards that actually followed him out to the ring. So I think, you know, the older he gets, the more security he might need. Uh, Lashley, um, then they get into the ring and they get ready to go. Lashley, uh, with his back to Goldberg, pulls a chain out of his tights and wraps it around his fist with his back to Goldberg right before the bell. Goldberg comes rushing in, attacks Lashley in the corner as soon as the bell hits, and Lashley hits him with the chain fist. The beatdown occurs and Lashley goes to the outside and grabs a chair from under the ring and attacks Goldberg even more. Lashley once again is on the outside and it brings the table to the ring with him this time. Um... So now there is a chair and a table in the ring. Lashley attacks Goldberg's injured leg from SummerSlam and sets up the table in the corner. Lashley wraps the steel chair around Goldberg's leg and attacks, jumping off the first rope. Uh, the announcers did a really good job here. And honestly, the announcers, I want to say, did a really good job throughout the night of really selling these matches. And they did a good job here really telling the story and telling us what happened at SummerSlam. Um, Goldberg, I do want to point out, during his entrance, was limping on his leg a little bit. I think he did a really good job of um, selling that storyline as well, so kudos to Bill for that. Um, so then con continuing on in the ring, Lashley um, appears to be stalking and going for a spear on Goldberg. Goldberg dodges him, and Lashley goes through the table that he previously set up. Goldberg is up. He hits a spear hardcore into the mat, and then the jackhammer, and then Goldberg goes up for that jackhammer, hits it, but then he doesn't cover Lashley, and he stands there, and the announcers are really shocked. Goldberg then takes off his fight gloves, tosses them to the outside fans, and Lashley rolls out to the outside. After that, we get a huge spear from Goldberg on the outside through the barricade, and he yells, you touch my son, you're next. Goldberg grabs the stairs from the corner, and Goldberg guides Lashley around the ring, slamming him into the barricade two or three times, slamming his head into the announcer table, leading him over to the stairs that he dismantled. Goldberg tries to smash Lashley's head between the stairs, but Lashley moves in the nick of time. Lashley retreats up the ramp. The Hurt Business comes out with kendo sticks, um, and then, of course, Goldberg handles them easily enough, and now both men, Lashley and and Goldberg have kendo sticks, and you feel there's going to be a showdown with kendo sticks on the stage and on the ramp. Goldberg breaks the kendo stick with his knee, and then he proceeds to spear Lashley off the top of the stage and gets the one, the two, the three. And the winner is Goldberg. He gets his revenge on the almighty Bobby Lashley. I feel like this match was... Um, as good as it could have been. This actually was a really long match for a Bill Goldberg match than we're used to seeing. So uh, Bill actually, you know, evenly paced it out. They told the story. They had a little bit of interference for some proper breathing room and breaks. And at the end of the day, um, Goldberg did get his revenge in a spot off of the stage right into the, um, it looked like a crash pad, but you know, I don't want to spoil that for you guys or ruin it. They, he will just say he, uh, you know, definitely speared him off the stage. And um, at that point, he got his one, two, three, and then hopefully Goldberg should be able to 
go away and Lashley can then, you know, continue and get back to dominant uh, with the Hurt Business. I like Lashley with the Hurt Business as well. I'm glad they brought them back. I know it was kind of weird. They just kind of broke him up and brought him back. But I think it's important that he has a bit of a, a stable in order to play into his persona. Moving on, we now get the King of the Ring Tournament Finals. Um, Finn Balor versus Xavier Woods. And as Xavier is looking like the favorite and looking intense as he's coming out, um, this is a Cinderella story for him. The announcers are selling it really, really hard. We shall see what happens. The two men fist bump in the ring to show respect to each other, and the match is underway with a lockup between the two faces. Um, And then it leads into a headlock for Finn. We get a clean break on the ropes, and Balor goes for a quick takedown. Xavier, now gaining momentum with a strong offense, is showing his skills, ending it with Balor on the ground and a senton by Woods on Balor. The corner battle between fists of Balor and chops of Woods goes back and forth, back and forth, ending with Balor's takedown with an elbow drop and a two-count for the pin. Balor follows up with a super kick out of the corner. The pace of the match so far is very cautious to this point because both men know what's at stake. The more back and forth, and Xavier tries a small package, um, but to no luck on the pin. Balor to the top rope, but Wood stops him, and Xavier now looks for a superplex and nails it for a two count. Xavier goes to the top rope, walks the rope, and follows it up with an elbow. Balor uh, actually reverses the pin for another quick two count. It's a seesaw matchup back and forth between the two as the pace picks up and Woods goes to the top rope once again, almost and does the exact same uh, move, walking the rope and hits what he calls the celebrity elbow for a second time for the pin and the crown. And our new King of the Ring 2021 is Xavier Woods. Uh, Xavier marches up the ramp. He puts on the crown, holds the cloak because it keeps falling off of him as he gets uh, keeps trying to put it on. So he's holding the scepter and the cloak as they announce, all hail King Xavier. I must admit, um, the crown and the gimmick really kind of does look good on Woods, um, but I wonder how he's going to carry you know the scepter and the trombone at the same time. Uh, I will say he tried to put the cloak on again. He said, I got to do this right. I got to do this right. But it just kept falling off. So, you know, I, I like Xavier. Um, I feel like he's going to be a very comical king. And I feel like this could be one of the most important um, shifts for him. And he has the ability to, you know, kind of play into this. I look for him to put the New Day uh, gesture kind of gimmick to this king. But um, at the end of the day, I did pick Balor to win. I thought it just made sense. But I'm not hating the idea that, you know, they kept the gimmick away from him and they gave it to Xavier. And I'll be excited to see what, you know, kind of uh, fun aspect he brings to it. Up next, we have our WWE Championship match. The two are faced to face in the ring. And wow, it's Drew McIntyre looking way bigger than Big E. The ring announcer makes it feel like a true championship match. So for these last three matches, they did a really good job of making it feel like a big time announcement. Um, I can't get over, you know, I know Big E's a big guy and he's muscular, but man, Drew just looks like a uh, giant compared to him. Uh, the lockup begins and the two are getting familiar with each other as Drew looks like the more dominant one in the beginning of the match. Uh, Big E has Drew on the outside of the ring later on and McIntyre launches Big E almost over the barricade. And then back in the ring, the two exchange blows and Drew hits a side Russian leg sweep and now has the advantage on the, 
on the ground. Back up on their feet, and Big E uses um, a throw into the ropes and hits a belly-to-back suplex. Then Drew is back up and hits a belly-to-back suplex of his own on Big E. Big E takes the momentum back with a belly-to-belly suplex and hits the big splash for a two-count on McIntyre. McIntyre then responding hits a Michinoku driver for another, you guessed it, two-count, and a lot of power moves that are happening in this match between these two powerhouses. Uh, Drew then goes to the top rope and misses, and Big E hits a rock bottom for a two-count, which is a very long time since we've seen the rock bottom in a WWE ring. Foreshadowing maybe, who knows, or trying to get somebody's attention from Hollywood, who knows. Big E then hits a backslide for a two-count, and then Drew hits a DDT for another two-count. This is definitely the king of two-counts matches. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and like kind of count how many we've had. McIntyre misses the clay more as he goes for it, and Big E uses the stretch muffler submission and putting major strain on McIntyre's knee. More action happens, and Big E then hits the big ending and gets a one, a two, and that's it. Just a two count. You could guess it. At that point, um, we then look at Drew is now paled on the top rope, and uh, <clears throat> Big E goes up with him, and then Drew hits a bulldog from the top rope. Now, Drew goes for a Claymore and misses, and Big E rolls out of the way once again. Drew then goes for a second Claymore for the second time in tonight's matchup, and he hits it only for a two count. (laughs) That's a lot of two counts. Uh, Both men only get two counts off of each of their finishers. What now? What are you going to do? How are they going to wrap this up? You can feel it's coming. McIntyre goes for the big ending, and Big E falls off of her, his shoulder. So McIntyre tries to use Biggie's big ending move. And um, Biggie slides off his shoulders and delivers his own big ending. One, two, and there it is, three, and beats a former WWE champion and gives himself a little credibility by beating Drew McIntyre. Biggie yells as McIntyre is going up on the stage. And Biggie yells at Drew McIntyre as he's walking away from the ring and says, Sorry. Me and her, as he points to the belt, have big plans. But you brought it. Big respect to you. Big respect. And Drew responds with just a nice thumbs up to Big E. Um, At the end of the day, this match did not really do anything for me. Uh, It felt very clunky, and I felt like it was definitely the battle of two counts. And they tried to drive a lot of suspense back and forth, back and forth. But um, it was hard for me to, one, get past the the size difference between Drew and Big E. Um, Drew's size with Big E, it just looks like, you know, Big E should be a kind of a mid-carder. And I hate to say that because I like Big E. Um, But I feel like they almost need to go back to the NXT style of him with maybe him doing things like, you know, the five count and things like that um, for the pins and kind of do a little King Kong bunny type thing with them. So at the end of the day, um, it was back and forth. The match happened. It really was not a highlight match tonight and easily forgettable. But again, we did get a definite ending with uh, guys respecting each other. And it did build Big E up a further as a WWE champion, hopefully for the long term. All right, up next, we have the much acclaimed and ready for the SmackDown Women's Championships, Lynch, Belair, and Banks. And this one has been fuming um, since SummerSlam and on, and this is going to be definitely kind of the payoff match for all of them. Now, as we know, Belair is drafted you know, over to Raw, while uh, Lynch and Banks, I believe, are staying on SmackDown. So the champion, Big Time Bex, is out first, followed by Sasha, Sasha Banks out next. Followed by Bianca Belair. I keep forgetting about the entire 
requirements in the Middle East and it really hurts the appeal of the women's characters a little bit because they're not able to wear their rest traditional wrestling gear but banks makes it work with a little style and the spider webs under her leggings and she's wearing a queen's cloak to kind of fit the crown jewel theme so you know kudos to um sasha banks for trying to make her you know uh, limited attire work so i did you know appreciate that and i always do appreciate the work she puts in with that the three women start off just kind of circling each other figuring out how to lock up and then Bianca shows off her power immediately by picking up Sasha in a gorilla press for a good five count and then slamming her. The WWE really was trying to put Belair over as a powerhouse multiple times in this matchup, as you guys will you know hear about and see. Belair then is knocked out of the ring, and that leaves Becky and Sasha wrestling in the ring after a much back and forth. Bianca attempts to get back into the match and is immediately knocked off the apron again. Um, it was almost like a little bit of a nod of, hey, let the big kids play. And they kept knocking Bianca off. Becky then later on the match, uh, monkey flips Sasha from the corner right into Belair's arms. Belair then picks her up for a power bomb, and I can feel like they are just super dominating Belair as far as playing up on her strengths. Um, could this be her possibly getting into maybe a Shayna Baszler or Nia Jax type matchup? Who knows? Uh, Sasha now is out of the ring as Becky and Belair are left battling. All three women now are in the ring, and Becky is handling both of them well enough. Becky is stomping each of the opponents and suplex Sasha and a cover on both women with a kick out of one and two. Uh, Bex is now on the top rope and is caught by both Banks and Belair. She attempts to uh, apologize with both girls holding on to her, but they don't buy it, and they do a double buckle bomb into the corner on Becky, uh, much like Rollins did earlier. So I find that interesting that her husband, uh, Seth Rollins, you know, did was the victim of a turnbuckle bomb that he ended Sting's career with by Edge, and uh, it happened very similar with Becky in tonight. So they kind of shared that. So then this actually just leaves the boss and the EST with lots of flips and kicks between the ladies. Banks hits um, the three amigos suplex on Bel Air. Banks then goes to the top rope, honoring the late great Eddie Guerrero, misses the frog splash as Bel Air moves. This leaves Lynch and Bel Air in the ring as Bex takes back control and Bianca gets back with a spine, back into it with a spine buster. Bel Air tries to bridge out of the pin, uh, by Lynch, but Sasha breaks it up by dogpiling on top of them both, and they attempt to make Bel Air look strong by Bel Air bridging and lifting both girls and picking them up. It just looks really awkward. Um, I get what they were going for, but I just don't know if um, I think Bianca's strong, but I just don't know if she's strong enough to pull off some of these John Cena like moves that they want her to. Sasha goes for the bank statement on Becky, and it's broke up by Bel Air with a flip from the ropes, landing on both of them. Banks looks dominant in the ring, grabbing Bianca's hair, twirling it, and then starts hitting her with it to just to get some heat from the fans. Uh, it's a really good move and a good play by uh, Sasha Banks. She's been really good about that since her days of NXT. I remember watching her um, and Bailey and stealing the little sunglasses off Bailey's number one fan and wearing them and crying and um, just kind of playing into it. Banks is really great as a heel. Belair then goes for a reversal pin. It's broken up by Lynch. Lynch then hits a rock bottom on Banks and goes for the pin and it gets broken up by Bel Air. I find it very interesting. This is twice now that we've seen the rock bottom tonight and I get they're giving Becky Lynch these Hollywood rock heel type moves um, because they want big time Bex to be like the Hollywood rock heel character and I can kind of see what they're trying to do here. 
I know your tricks, guys. Uh, back in the ring, Becky hits the disarmor on Belair. She sees Sasha coming out of the corner of her eye, and she throws Sasha on top of Belair and then places both girls in a double disarmor, which actually was probably one of my favorite spots of the match. I love the fact that they kind of use this effect, and you know, I never kind of thought of that. I was like, oh, that's a good idea is to you know, just throw them both in there. And it doesn't matter which one would give up since it's triple threat rules. And then they could even take that and argue with who gave up, right? But regardless, Becky could have retained her title that way. But instead, Belair shows her strength standing up with both girls on her shoulders. Again, we get the hawk. We get the Bianca Belair hawk uh, trying to go to those John Cena you know, type strength moves. And then Bianca hits the kiss of death, the KOD on Sasha. Um, or she hits the kiss of death and then Sasha actually breaks up the account. She throws Belair on the outside of the ring and then Belair or Banks goes after Lynch and Becky rolls her up with the cradle on Banks while grabbing the rope. One, two, three. And the winner is big time Bex and she retains her title. Um, I will say this is the right ending to this match. You know, uh, this match actually I enjoyed. There was a lot of action. It was a lot of back and forth. There were times, the only thing that really looked awkward for me was they were trying to put over Belair's strength almost too much. And I feel like they just got to put her in better positions because if those moves don't work, you're, you know, you're going to come across looking kind of foolish versus looking, you know, really like freakishly muscular. And um, so I feel like they are still playing it safe with Belair, having her in the ring with veterans. And that is the right move as she develops in her career. I do think she has a future, but man, she's still got a little bit to go. And she's definitely, um, to me, not quite on the same level, but she can get there if they keep working with her and keep committed to her. At the end of the day, Big time Bex, as your champion, you got to proceed with this character change for her. And we're going to see what happens tomorrow on SmackDown. And then we get to our main event. The Universal Champion, Roman Reigns versus the Beast Incarnate, Brock Lesnar. And it's time for this main event as we get a complete video package with the buildup between Roman and Brock. And the big question is, whose side is Paul Heyman truly on? We get a good tweet and a quote from Roman today about the match. Always know who is business and who is blood. And I love that quote. I think that applies to many aspects of life. So I enjoyed you know, the announcers again telling the story here. Um, both men get into the ring. And this the question is, again, whose side is Paul Heyman on? He's been playing it very down the middle, but saying he's siding with Roman. But you just get the idea that he could flip and go with Brock. So then we get... Um, as they get into the ring, Lesnar goes after Reigns early. These two look like almost like a WWE UFC brawl fight mix. Lesnar beats Reigns down, striking him in the back. Reigns retaliates with elbows to the face. Lesnar returns and thrusts him in the corner multiple times. Lesnar attempts suplex city, but Roman grabs the ropes because he's got him well scouted to avoid. And then Lesnar attempts again, and he gets his first suplex of the night. The crowd chants, Suplex City, Suplex City, Suplex City. Both men on the outside, and Reigns bounces off Lesnar off the ring post, and Reigns has the advantage. Later, Lesnar picks up Reigns and almost F5s him into the ring, and then Roman returns the favor with a Superman punch, knocking Lesnar back off the apron. Roman then follows up with a run over the top rope, easily clearing the rope and splashes on Lesnar on the outside. Back in the ring, Lesnar spears or Roman spears Lesnar and gets a two count. Roman locked and loaded with the Superman punch on Lesnar and follows with another one. So Roman hits not one, not 
you guessed it, two Superman punches. Brock is down on his knees. Roman then, ooh, ah, goes for the spear. And as he goes for the spear, Brock Lesnar leapfrogs with his athleticism over Reigns and goes into the turnbuckle, and both men are down. Lesnar then hits the German suplex, number two. He then hits German suplex, number three, and then number four. And then as he mocks Roman Reigns, Brock does his own. Ooh, ah. And then at this point, this is uh, where Suplex City is really starting to get into full effect. Brock then hits an F5. One, two, the referee counts and Reigns kicks out. A second F5 is attempted. Roman counters. He gets a guillotine chokehold and Lesnar struggles and then for a long time, almost choking the life out of him and then powers out with a slam. A third F5 is hit on Roman and the referee gets caught up in Roman's legs hitting him and is down. Charles Robinson is down for the count and Brock pins Roman, but there is no referee. Brock is angry. He picks up the referee by the seat of his pants and throws him out of the ring and Roman hits a spear on Brock. Heyman is now shown on the outside and we haven't seen many of Heyman's faces like we normally do during this match. And he looks very distraught as both men are down and he doesn't know what to do. And he throws the belt into the middle of both of them. And he says, you know what to do with it. You know what to do with it. Both men actually end up grabbing the belt. They don't know who it's for. A tug of war happens. Lesnar actually gets the title from Roman. And then all of nowhere, the Usos, the bloodline come in and super kick Brock. Roman Reigns now has the title as the Usos roll out. He smacks Brock Lesnar with the title. And then he throws the title out of the ring just as another referee is coming into the ring. One, two, three. Roman Reigns retains the universal title. And that is the end of WWE Crown Jewel. This match was a back and forth. Um, they did a you know typical good story. These guys always amaze me when they wrestle because they've had lots of matches now in the history of these two and they have a rivalry and they tell a little bit of a story in a different style of wrestling every time they have good chemistry i've seen the main event mania i've seen the main event crown jewels i've seen them do a lot together and it always feels a little different each time to where you almost forget about when they previously met year after year so these two definitely have good chemistry and i enjoy the stories they tell this was probably my one of my top matches of the night for me Um, It does advance the storytelling. Paul Heyman walks up with the bloodline and, you know, he's looking kind of confused and he keeps looking back at Brock who's in the ring, who looks the broken beast almost looks more angered. And that's where crown jewel goes to the end. And um, Heyman has this look kind of like, Oh, I don't want to go with you guys, but I still have to keep up face, but he keeps looking back at Brock and so I'm going to be interested to see kind of what happens on SmackDown tomorrow night because I have a feeling something big will happen with Roman and Heyman on SmackDown tomorrow night. Guys, I want to give you my final thoughts on Crown Jewel today. Um, the WWE went all out. They tried to put on a solid crowd, a, a solid show for the crowd. They did play to the local specifics of that. Um, they did deliver on what they promised. I think there was a good ending with you know, and there was a lot of revenge matches on today's card with Edge getting his win over Rollins, a good opener. I think Goldberg got his good win over Lashley. And then, of course, you got a little bit more done with the Roman and Lesnar storyline with Paul Heyman in the fray. And big time Bex's uh, character was more and more established, so we'll see where she goes next. Overall, um, Crown Jewel, it came, it went. Um, 
I want to applaud the WWE right now for this pay-per-view on Peacock. And I hope this does remain for future pay-per-views that they have. You know, the commercials were put in there appropriately and they didn't, you know, cut off any main entrances or, you know, extreme rules. I, you guys remember me going on a bit of a rant and they just did things incorrectly and they, you know, but we're past that now. And they, um, but I remember they would cut off, they'd give people jobbers entrances and give them commercials and then they would interrupt the champion. And it was just a horrible production. They were Spanish speaking going on in the match and it was just in, and French at the same time. And um, so I would say Crown Jewel went off without a hitch tonight and there was no, you know, legs in the network. There was no real issue. So kudos to you guys for uh, putting on the good show from a production standpoint tonight. And man, it's nice to have the pyro. It's nice to have the entrances. And I wish that, you know, most pay-per-views, I'm not saying every single one, but it would be nice if WWE could get back to doing this for the manias and the Royal Rumbles and the SummerSlams and the Survivor Series, just to kind of give us those pay-per-view moments and feels. But regardless, at the end of the day, um, Crown Jewel was about a two to three match pay-per-view. Not everything here is going to be amazing, but um, I do also want to know your guys' thoughts. Anyway, those are mine and those are the calls of what happened in today's Thursday, October 21st of Crown Jewel, live from Saudi Arabia. And on that note, I want to say thanks for watching. Like, share, subscribe. Greatly helps out my channel. And it's not goodbye, but it's game over.